It is great to be here with you and to join in this series. I love the graphic that your pastors came up with. Uh, emojis were, that's something that was started in Japan. You maybe know that, I think. Actually, in the, maybe, uh, I saw the date the other day. It's uh, quite a while ago, but it has, uh, uses two Japanese words, put them together, that talks about, has the idea of emotions. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of surprised that the, the assignment that I've give, was given today, which is, uh, uh, the, a wonderful one, the assignment of speaking about the emotion of love, that that wasn't first. But maybe that's wise. Maybe that's the way it should be. You know, if we would study the fruit of the Spirit, it would be number one, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then the other, uh, the other uh, eight of those. Uh, if we would just study the, uh, the, the Apostle John's writings. For example, in 1 John, he uses the word, word love 45 times. It was a big deal for him. And, and in his gospel, he uses it many times as well. In fact, there's a legend about the Apostle John that near the end of his life, he was an old man. And uh, his followers, his disciples were kind of gathered around him. And he said to them, dear children, that's how he liked to address his followers. Dear children, love one another. And they said, hmm, thank you, John. That, you know, you've said that to us before, but, you know, could you, could you give us something new? Uh, you know, we know that you're coming near the end of your life and ministry. Is there something new you could give to us? And he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another, <laughs> quoting Jesus. And they said, John, thank you. Thank you, but we want something by which we could remember you. Something, you know, you've, you've said that to us from the beginning of your ministry. You already said that. And he said, what I said to you in the beginning, I say to you again, love one another. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. It's kind of a legend. But the, the point of it is that John basically had one message. And that was, he would, he would probably today, he would say what we are saying, love everybody always. He just said, love one another. But what he was really was saying is the theme this morning, love everybody always. What a powerful word that is. Now, we wouldn't be too far from the truth if we said that the reason that Jesus came to earth was so that he could show to us what the love of God really looks like. He came as the embodiment of the very of the love of God. We could say that in several ways. Here's how John, again, the apostle, said it in his gospel in John 1.14. He said, and the word, that's Jesus, became flesh, became a human being. The word became flesh and dwelt among us or took up residence among us. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth or full of love, grace, the the full embodiment, the, the greatest, the best expression of God's love, full of grace and truth. So, so John is saying, we saw Jesus, God in the flesh, and he was full of the love of God. Sometimes I read Daily Bread. I wouldn't recommend that as your only devotional, but it has some great ideas. And the other day, just about 10 days ago, there was a little story about a, a man named Keith Wasserman, who every year since 1989 has taken a few days of the year and he, he became becomes homeless. He lives out on the streets. And he's the director of a, of a ministry, a ministry that's called um, Good Works Incorporated. 
And he says, he does this. He says, I go to live on the streets to expand my perspective and understanding of people who have no homes to live in. But for me, that's just a little picture of what Jesus did for us when he came to become not homeless. Well, he was homeless. He said, you know, he doesn't have any place to lay his son of man does not have a place to lay his head. But the creator of the universe was confined to the vulnerable state of a baby, lived as a human being, experienced what we experienced and ultimately died on a cruel cross so he could show to us the love of God the Father that he wants to pour out into our lives. So our assignment today is to unpack a beautiful chapter, an, an ode to love, some people call it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we want to look at that. If it's anything, these 13 verses are a description of Jesus. Maybe you've read it sometimes, or if you if you haven't, do it. What I did this morning is just kind of preparing my heart again, and I read that, and I wherever the word love came popped up, or wherever there was a, a pronoun um, referring to love, I put the word Jesus in there. This is a description of Jesus. These verses, these words, show us what Jesus is like, what He was like, just as He came to show us what God's love is like. So we're going to look at this chapter and we're not going to be able to take it verse by verse or word by word. We're going to take kind of principle by principle. If you could go with me that way this morning. And and I've looked at this through the eyes of various people who've studied it. And it seems like they all agree basically on this same kind of this basic outline that I'm giving you this morning. That, that love is essential, that love is practical, and that love is the greatest expression of, of God's love. So let's look at that together, and I'm going to read it from the New International Version, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection in, as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this uh, amazing chapter, these 13 verses that describe who you are and your love to us. And now open our hearts to what you want to teach us today. I pray you would, in a fresh way again, just anoint uh, my lips, that I would only say what you would want me to say, and that people would hear what you want them to hear. And uh, Lord, do a work of love in my own heart, even as I share these thoughts and your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the outline that you have in your worship folder there, I'm sorry about the, the somehow in my uh, Word word document, the, some of the blanks didn't come out just right, but you can figure that out. But uh, the, the first idea that I want to give you this morning is just either that either we love or we are nothing. That's ver- the first three verses, verses one through three. Either we love or we are nothing. What a powerful, bold statement that is. Look closely at that again. Just glance at it and you'll notice that the themes that that uh, uh, Paul uses here in writing this are basically what he has already written. If you would have if we would have studied first Corinthians 13, you'd see that he really is very quickly kind of reviewing what he's already talked about. The Corinthians were very big into spiritual gifts. And one of them that they really uh, felt uh, strongly about was the gift of tongues. And so Paul begins with that one. And he just nails that one right away. He says, you may know, you may be able to speak in tongues. You may have, you may know ten languages, we might say. You may be able to um, go into ecstatic trances. You may be able to speak angelic kind of spiritual words. But if love is missing, that is worthless, he's saying. That is nothing. And then he moves on to something else that was be really big for them. Prophecy. Now, in the in the New Testament... Typically, most often, when you come across the word prophecy, it, we would today translate that basically as preaching. Most of the time it was forth-telling, not so much foretelling. It included both. And if you see 1 Corinthians sandwiched here in between uh, spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and uh, the prophecy and, and how we worship in chapter 14, you see the importance of that. But here, once again, Paul is just saying, you know, if you can, you can maybe preach like, like Billy Graham... But if you don't love, you might as well just be quiet. You might as well just get, say, can you imagine if I would go over to that symbol over there and just beat on that for 30 minutes? That's kind of what he's saying. That's what it would, if, if I don't preach today in love, if I don't speak in love, that's all it is. It's just like a gong or a, a noisy symbol, a noise in your ears. And today we could pick out other areas, you know, one of the areas of of social media where we where we're tempted not to express love you know it happens so often doesn't it you can you can say things there on facebook or whatever that can hurt people and it's there it's it's there for almost like for eternity right so we need to if we don't say it in love don't say it because it's nothing it's worth nothing what paul is giving us here i like to call new testament math You've heard of the new math, and that's not new anymore, that's old, you know. But the New Testament math, it goes kind of like this. You take all of your gifts, whether you have two or three, or maybe you have more. Let's say you have five gifts. You you add up all your gifts, and you subtract love, and it's zero every time. You know, you go to you, you add up your gifts, take out love, and it's zero. And you go down the road. So what he's saying is, we're nothing. The question I have for you this morning is, and for myself, do I really believe that? Paul says, you are nothing or you gain nothing. It is worth nothing. Do we actually believe this? Do we believe this enough to bring it into our lives 
and evaluate ourselves and our relationships and everything on this basis of love or nothing? It's really a, a challenging question. If we don't, we might as well stop reading right there. Read verses 1 through 3 and, and that's enough. Paul says either we have love or we are nothing. You know, my love was tested the other day, about a week ago now, on every Friday, pretty particularly at most Fridays, I'm assigned to be a chaplain at our local hospital there in Reedley. And I enjoy that. I, I would say it's one of my gifts <laughs> to, to go and visit with people and to, and to pray with them. And so I was praying with a, a woman in her bed and there was another woman right next to her and, and uh, I, I prayed and when I finished praying, I could tell she was just, she was in with me. In fact, she was laying in bed. She was just like this. I thought, wow, you know, I'm a thought, little thought was like, man, I must have really prayed good, you know, but, but, uh, but really it was like, well, this, she, you know, this is a wonderful lady here, a wonderful believer. She's, that doesn't happen very often. Sometimes people are not feeling very well. Uh, sometimes they, they don't, they're not sure if they want to trust me. Uh, they don't know me and all that kind of thing. But this one really felt good. And so I closed my visit and, uh, Hadn't asked who the woman was next to her. I found that I have to be a little careful with that. I've made some dumb mistakes sometimes, like saying, well, is this your, is this your husband? No, that's my daughter, you know, or whatever. Uh, uh, so I, I'm, I'm real careful. So that time I didn't ask. And so she volunteered. She said, uh, oh, and by the way, this is my wife. And suddenly I had to do a little gut check. That really, do I really love this woman? Do I love these women in my prayer? Because if not, my prayer was absolutely worthless. So that's the world we live in. Um, my prayer is that all of us will take this maybe seri- seriously at a new level. I, I, I don't know if I've ever, you know, I've, I've thought of this. I've read this hundreds of times. And it seems like such a wonderful ideal, isn't it? You know, unless I have the... Unless I have love, I'm nothing. And we just kind of read that off and then we stop and realize that's what God is saying to us here. It's either love or nothing. And so that's where we start this morning. And I ask you to consider that for yourselves. The second idea here is comes in verses 4 through 7. How do we love everybody always? In these verses, we learn that this special variety of love that Paul is referring to here has to move us has to move from our heads to our hands and our feet. We have to somehow move it out of the area of theory to something that is really practical. Or for us this morning, we need to say, we got to get it out of this sanctuary and it's got to get out into the streets. And that's the challenge here. In English, we're rather limited with the word love, aren't we? I mean, we kind of basically have one word for love. And so we can love our spouse and we can love Coca-Cola. My wife, who couldn't be here this morning, loves me, I know, but she also loves Roger's Golden Syrup. <laughs> Go figure. Stephen, do you know what that is? Yeah. I almost brought some today for Pastor Brian as a welcome back gift. It's a, it's a special kind of syrup that you can only get in Canada, by the way. And uh, my father-in-law was Canadian, and we have, in 48 years of marriage, we've only been without Roger's Golden Syrup for one month. Can you believe it? My wife thought she was going to die. She has some every night before she goes to bed on peanut butter. And I can't, disc- I can't tell you really what it is. It's weird stuff. Uh, 
But she just loves it. See, she loves Roger's golden syrup. Enough of that's kind of a, a little bit of a, an aside. But for Paul, when he was writing this, he had at least three words that he could choose from. Right off the bat, he could use the word, the Greek word storge, which is a word for familial kind of love, where we love our children, our siblings love each other, brothers and sisters, that's one. He had the the word uh, eros, which is a passionate kind of love, mostly sensual, romantic kind of love. He could have used that word, but it didn't fit. There was the word phileo, which you probably know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the love, the highest form of human love. A love which is a, a kind of a, an attraction, definitely love between close friends. It seems that the apostles, like they almost invented a new word because the, the love of Jesus that he had poured out in their lives and he had taught them wasn't adequate. I mean, the, yeah, there's no word that was quite adequate. So they came up with this word that many of you know, the word agape. It's the love of God. It's the love of Jesus. It's a love that is known by its action. It's a love that is unconditional, and that's the word that Paul chose to use here in this study to say, love everybody always. He's What he's saying is it's always your move. It's always our move, and that's what we get from these verses 4 through 7. I found a quote from uh, former Vice President Hubert Humphrey. Um, some of you my age will remember that we had a Vice President by that name one time. Uh, But he said this, I think it's kind of profound. He said, the moral test of government is how it treats those in the dawn of life, the children, those in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, the disabled. And I thought, if that is true of government, and pray, may it be so, how much more true is that of we who take the name of Jesus and go by the one who is the very embodiment of the love of God. That, that the Christian faith might be represented by how we treat those in the dawn and in the twilight and in the shadows of life. Have you heard of the ministry called Teen Missions? Maybe you have. A, I don't know if it's still around or not. Some of our young people used to go out with that. They, they go out all over the world uh, basically doing... Um, uh, projects of rebuilding and construction kind of things. And to get to, to go to teen missions, you have to go to Florida for a, a week or two weeks or so uh, in, in this horrible humidity. Uh, and they call it the boot camp. You have to bring your own hammer and you got to bring your own tool belt and things like that. But what I like about them is that their motto is get dirty for God. And some of our kids have gone and done that, get dirty for God. I think that's partly what Paul is saying to us here. When we love, it's always our move, and sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's difficult. The question I have this morning is, what are you and I doing to demonstrate so that others might see the love of God in us? This love that loves everybody always. What are we doing? What are you and I doing? What is it about our lives? How close is, is my life to the life of John who said, little children love one another? What you heard from the beginning is love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another, love everybody always. How close is that to describing who you and I are? Real love, Jesus love. The kind that loves everybody always. Sometimes it's messy, it's dirty. But it is love that is acted out. We are the hands and the feet 
of Jesus. And that's powerful. Thirdly, in verses 8 to 13, Paul is, if he was preaching this, he would really be going right now. Uh, he again pulls from some of the topics that were important to the Corinthians. Some of the favorite ideas about knowledge. They loved knowledge. They had come out of this Greek culture where knowledge was supreme. Uh, they loved the prophecy, prophesying. They loved the pre- preaching and uh, the gift of tongues and those kind of things. And so he refers to those things once again. But he does it now to show us that the things that we tend to value in life are so often temporary compared to the eternal nature of the things of God. When we really grab hold of real life, we're dealing with things that that last, that are lasting compared in contrast to the things of this world. One thing that I hadn't realized as I had studied this was that in Corinth, they were famous, they were known for making mirrors. Isn't it interesting that Paul would pick that out and use that as an illustration? They weren't the kind of silver glass mirrors that we have today that are almost perfect in terms of the reflection. Uh, they, they had a certain metal that they had there that they would polish it. And if they polish it, finally, it would begin to give some kind of a reflection. It wasn't a very clear reflection. It was kind of a blurred reflection, kind of looking in a glass darkly, you might say, as Paul says here. And so that's. Paul is saying that's how we tend to love today until perfection comes, perfection with a capital P, until Jesus comes again for us. That's when we're going to see clearly. That's when we're going to be able to love perfectly. So there is something idealistic about what he's saying here. Yet it's also there's something that's attainable in what he's saying and what he's teaching us here. I find this section here, these last few verses, to be both a warning and an encouragement. Both of those things. The warning is that no display of spiritual gifts, no matter how spectacular, will compensate for less than a genuine loving heart. A genuinely loving heart. We can't make up for, we can't make up for a lock, last, lock, excuse me. <laughs> lack of love. There you go. A lack of love. By, by just per, a great performance. We can't do that. It's a warning that God detests phoniness. You know that, don't you? And you know that most of us can spot a phony. And if we can, surely God can as well. And so that's the warning to, to take note here. To be true from your heart. The encouragement is that we can grow in love. And I want to encourage you with that today, friends. We can be real and we can grow in maturity and to know even though there's more to come, what we can be part of, what we can participate in today is something that can have an eternal quality today. That we can experience an agape love and we can participate in that and we have a foretaste of eternity when we participate, when we do that. So the question here is, how are you doing in terms of your growth in love? Is, is the love in your heart different than it was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, last week? Are we growing in this area that we're called to be part of? Do we really believe that it is always our move when there's a situation in turn that requires some kind of a loving act? No matter who's walked away from us, no matter who has disappointed us, no matter who has crossed us, no matter what, It's my move. That's what Paul is saying here. No matter what, we get the love. We get it. 
We get to do it. We, and when we get that, when we get it right here, he says, you got it all. There's faith, there's hope, but the greatest of these is love. We get the love of God and we get to show it. Let's see if I can give you a couple of things to take home with you for this week. It's that so what section there in your outline. And to do that, let me first just try to paint a, a word picture for you. I know that I'm sure that many of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is the greatest chasm on the face of this earth. As you go and you look over the rim of that canyon, basically see things that, I mean, there's, there's, it's like dead. There's a few junipers here and there. There's a few scrub brushes in here. But you hear the wind blowing and you just look and it's just, it's just there. No life. Oh, it's impressive by, it certainly is impressive. It's a, it's a great wonder. But it's really a bunch of death. But once in a while, the engineers find it necessary to release uh, quite a bit of water up the Colorado River. And they flood the Grand Canyon. And when that happens, there is, is a life that comes to that place that, that isn't there ever, any other time. There are, there are seeds that have been lying dormant. There are little plants that have just been kind of hanging on. And suddenly the, the floor of that canyon bursts to new life because a, a dam of water has been released and, and the whole area seems to change for a few weeks. Like that canyon, I'm guessing that some of us here this morning would have to admit that there's a chasm in our lives where love once flowed. Maybe through carelessness. Maybe it was just neglect. Maybe it was a, a hurt that you allowed it to, to fester and to become like a, a dam. And you said in your heart, maybe you didn't say the words, but in your heart it was like, I am never, I'm never. And you can finish that sentence. So I'm asking this morning whether through this amazing challenge to love everybody always, could this be a day when it might be good to open that dam again that would allow the, the love of Jesus to once again flow through you to other people. Remember Jesus' words in, in John 4 when the woman at the well came to him? It says that whoever drinks this water that I give out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In part, that is the love of Jesus that we're talking about today. That he would love to have flow through you once again. Don't you long to see life spring up in your heart again where there's been something that just seemed to be cut off? Would you ask God to, to do that in your life? And I want to remind you again that the best, best place to look for this love that we've been singing about all morning and I've been talking about here for about 20 minutes. It's really right here. This love letter from God to us. You know, we can look at so many different places. If you, someone said that trying to learn about love from television is like learning self-defense from a Roadrunner cartoon. <laughs> it's just all backwards. Go to God's Word. Go to God and his word. You know, one of the things I really believe is that, that the love described here in 1 Corinthians 
is possible only as we first love God. Now, He has already loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the free, He made the first move. He didn't wait for us to demonstrate His love. Can you say this morning that you truly love God? See, I think a, a measurement of the love of God in us is the degree to which we also love God. And I think it's really possible to, to love others very much unless we love God a whole bunch. Are you able to say to God, I love you, Lord? Are you able to say to Jesus that you love him? That's, that's the key that unlocks this, this doorway that sometimes closes the, the heart of love in, in our lives. It's one way to test this love in our lives. Is ask ourselves, am I comfortable telling God that I love Him? I really was drawn to worship today. What, what happens to you when you come to worship? Are you drawn to the presence of Jesus because you love Him? Remember Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37 and following, He said, there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe the order of that is critically important. Sometimes we find people that, that are trying to love others, and it's not that it's impossible to love, but, but you can't really love people at the depth that we're talking about here first, and then try to love God second or later. He's got to be first. He's got to be there. He's got to be first. Key, that's the key that unlocks this whole idea that is really sometimes feels like it's out of our grasp and yet the Word of God says it, it is here to love everybody always. The worship team is going to come back up and lead us in a song and while they do, do you remember an old song from maybe the 80s or so? It's called, it goes, I love you Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. Jesus, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you that with you in our hearts, it's possible to love everybody always. It's hard to say. and It's even more difficult to do. But with you, it's possible. Thank you for being the absolutely loving God that you are. Coming into our lives. We want to end now just by celebrating that love once more by singing this great contemporary chorus that just celebrates what you've done in Jesus Christ. We thank you and we love you. I love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.